Hi, good morning. Right, so about four or five years ago, I was asked to speak at one of these uh, medical missions conferences. And uh, before we had the talk, uh, there's me and about, uh, about five other uh, speakers. And so we got together and we we're kind of planning for what our message would be. And so, uh, not, not their real names, but, but let me just call them uh, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and Mutu. Okay, so uh, we were kind of talking about what the, the message would be. And uh, Ma Matthew was saying that, you know, one of the things that we need to do is, uh, because this is a medical missions conference and the audience is mostly Christian doctors, he was saying that one of the things that we need to say quite strongly is that there is a, a certain Christian obligation that exists, especially for people like, you know, doctors who have a certain skill set uh, to use that for the good of the kingdom. And therefore, there is a certain Christian obligation that Christian doctors have to do something. And one of the other guys, uh, and, and let's call him John, he was saying, no, wait, we, we, we can't say things like that. And the reason is because every time you make a certain claim of a Christian obligation or something that Christians are supposed to do, what you do is you reinforce the idea of works righteousness. You reinforce the idea of, you know, you being saved because of something that you do. And, and so that is a, a tricky thing that we needed to kind of you know, negotiate you know, within this group. But in any case, John was the only one who felt that way. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Mutu and I, we decided to go ahead of the message. But in any case, the, the bottom line is that th this is an issue that does crop up every now and then, right? So I, I don't know if you have experiences, but I certainly have, that whenever we are in a, in a Christian group, in a, in a church group, or just among friends or whatever, and we're talking about something that veers into the territory of Christian obligation or Christian behavior or what Christians should do, th this question always comes up. You know, at what point are we, you know, wandering into the field of, uh, of a legalism or of, uh, you know, of, of, of works-based righteousness? What, what, what do we do about that? And this is not just something that happens in, uh, in groups when we talk about it, but I've detected it in myself, this particular tension. And for me especially, it occurs when those, you know, it doesn't happen most of the time when we're talking about stuff that doesn't involve me, but when it's stuff that potentially has a claim on me, it's a lot more easy to pick up that particular objection. So one example, uh, this last week I was in East Timor, but when I was there, I, I listened to uh, Pastor Kokfai's sermon uh, over the podcast, and I was doing so, you know the bit where he says, you know, old men, you need to do this, and I'm thinking, yeah, preach it, brother, yeah, that's right. And then like, young women need to do this, I'm like, yeah, preach it, brother, that's right. Then we got to like, young men, you need to do this. Suddenly I was like, no, I'm saved by grace. I don't need to do any works-based righteousness. So, so, so you can see that, that, that there's a certain self-investment that, that uh, changes the way that we view uh, claims of Christian obligation. So given that, right, what, 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 what do we say about it? How should we be talking about the whole idea of good works uh, within the Christian community? And how do we do it in a way that is, that, that is biblical, that is accurate biblically, and yet in a way that honors this particular objection, that takes seriously a, a very real objection about, you know, are we encouraging or promoting a certain type of works righteousness? And also at the same time, it's a message that we can use consistently or that allows us to speak about this topic to believers, to non-believers, to younger believers or people that you're discipling, uh, maybe your children, um, and people outside of the church. Right? So, so how do we do that? And I'm going to try and answer this question today by looking at Titus. And uh, you know that we're now at the third sermon of a three-sermon series on the book of Titus. And so Titus has got three chapters. These are the titles of the uh, two prior sermons. 
And um, before I get into Titus chapter 3, I just want to point out that the transition between Titus chapter 2 and chapter 3 is quite blurry. It's not a very clear uh, you know, distinction because Paul really seems to be talking about the same thing. Paul, the author of the book of Titus, he's talking about the same thing really all the way through Titus 2 to 3. It's like one sustained argument. And so I'm going to kind of recap a little bit about Titus 2 and then we'll go into Titus 3. So you'll remember this from last week. So um, this, I'm reading from the ESV. Um, yes, so Titus uh, chapter 2 verse 1 uh, it goes, you know, but as for you, he's talking to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he elaborates on what that means. And that means older men do this, younger women do this, young women do this, younger men do this, yourself, Titus, you do this, and bond servants do this. And then Paul pauses for a while to talk about what the reasons for those are. And he says, you know, from chapter, uh, from verse 11 onwards, for the grace of God has appeared because God has done this for you. And so he gives a reason for these imperatives, for these commands. And then verse 15, he goes, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to... Note that, you know, this is the tra transition between two chapters. But it's almost as if Paul doesn't even stop to take a breath because he's talking about the same thing. He's saying, remind them, teach them, exhort them, etc., etc. And he continues on into uh, chapter 3. And so I'm now going to read out Titus chapter 3, but I want you to pay attention to this. Just see what the structure is within Titus chapter 3. So one thing that happens is that he talks for a bit about what believers should be like. He also talks about what believers should not be like. And he also draws that implication for what believers once were like. Right? And also, he again, just like in chapter 2, he pauses for a bit and he says, why? believers need to be in that certain way. So uh, I'm just now going to read from the ESV. This is Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. And there are a couple of final remarks that uh, Paul makes in the letter before closing the letter. So he says, verse 12, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. 
Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Verse 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. All right, so that's Titus chapter 3. And you saw that, right? You saw the bits where he's talking about what believers should be like, what believers should not be like, and the reasons why. And for, for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to try and break these things down. And so we're going to get into this first bit, right? So good works in the book of Titus, what believers should be like, and what believers should not be or once were like. Now, I want to make clear something here. When we're talking about good works, the term good works here in Titus, Paul isn't necessarily thinking specifically about good things that you do to other people like charity or almsgiving or service and stuff. The way that he uses the term good works here, he uses it in an expansive way. He uses it to refer to all types of behavior, which is what right Christian behavior should be. And that means the way that you relate to God, the way that you relate to other believers, the way that you relate to people who are outside of the household of faith. He's talking about your beliefs and your attitudes, as well as your speech, as well as your actions. So all of these things are kind of bundled up when he's using the term good works over here. So don't think that he's only talking about stuff that you do for other people outside, right? So all Christian conduct. So what believers should be like and what believers should not be like. And so pay attention to these verses. So verse 1 to 2, submissive, obedient, ready for every good work, speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling, being gentle and showing courtesy. Verse 8, devoting oneself to good works because they're excellent and profitable. Verse 14, learning to devote oneself to good works to be able to help cases of urgent need. Now notice that in some of the things that he says about what Christians should be like, there's almost a symmetry uh, and almost an oppositeness to what he says about things that uh, non-believers uh, or people or, or you yourselves once were. So when he talks about, you know, believers should be submissive and obedient, he says that non-believers or you yourself were once foolish and disobedient. When he talks about speaking evil of no one, avoiding quarreling, being gentle, and showing courtesy, he talks about how the, the you yourself once were, or, you know, non-believers are full of malice and envy and hating and hatred. And so there's a little bit of a symmetry, a little bit of, uh, of similarity between those two things. And similarly, in uh, uh, verse number 8, when he says, devote yourself to good works, things that are excellent and profitable. In verse 9, when he's talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the non-believers or the false believers, he says that those guys are interested, they're devoted to basically controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels and stirring up divisions, things that are unprofitable worthless. So you see that, 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 you know, that relationship between these two lists. And so what does Titus say about what believers should be like and what believers should not be or once like? That's, that's the two lists that you saw. There needs to be, in Paul's mind, a distinction between what believers are like with regard to good works and what they once were like with regard to good works. And is that true of us? that there is a, a difference, a clear night and day between what we once were and what we are now. Now, if 
that is the case, if there should be this difference, why is the reason that Paul says that there should be this difference? And there are two reasons that he gives, both kind of embedded in the middle of these lists. And the first is this. Um, I'm reading verse 1 and 2. So be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show courtesy toward all people. For we once, for we ourselves were once like this. And yet, even though we were, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us according to His own mercy. And so this is the first reason that Paul offers for showing goodness toward all people. Because we ourselves have received goodness through Christ. Now, this, this, this is important because... Um, so, so last week I was in East Timor, and we've been working in East Timor for, for many, many years now. I think, like, uh, I think about 12 years now. And um, one of the things that, that brings me a, a lot of, of joy and a lot of energy and uh, a lot of satisfaction in much of the, uh, of the medical missions work over there is working with guys like this. You know, it's working with the, with the children. It's working with the vulnerable. It's working for people who often don't have a lot of other resources available to them, and they're extremely gracious and thankful and, and they're, 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 they're a joy to be around. And yet, there's, there's also this other side of this, and that is that in this last trip, I met with our own missionaries as well as some of the um, other missionaries that are working in East Timor for a while, and they're going through some hard times. And they're going through some hard times because some of the community members that they're working with um, are, are hostile, there's, there's strife, there's conflict, there's a lot of, of politics and backbiting and a lot of lack of gratitude for very hard work done over an extremely long time. And that's, that's painful. It's painful to sustain good works to people when there isn't a reciprocity, when there isn't a, a thankfulness, when there isn't a, a wanting to be good back to you. And this is extremely important to remember. Um, a, a little bit closer to home, I, I work as a doctor about once a week now, and I have other friends who are, who are in the medical, um, uh, medical sector, and one of the things that I know is extremely difficult for them to deal with is how, you know, you spend like, you know, day to night working really, really hard, especially in the public sector, trying to deal with, trying to give care to a lot of people. And as you're doing that, right, somewhere along the way, there'll be this one joker, right, who really, you know, gets on your nerves. This guy who comes in and he's, he's, he's rude or sometimes he's racist and, you know, he's you know, asking for unreasonable things, shouting at, you know, the, the medical staff, being abusive. That's extremely difficult to deal with because you're trying to help this guy, right? And you're being faced with this kind. And if the reason why we are doing good works, the reason why we are serving is because they deserve it, that won't last very long because these kinds of people just eat you up and drain all of your passion. And some of you are, are, are nodding, you, you, you know what I mean by this. And so that's the point, that, you know, why, why the good works according to Titus? It's at least in part, one of the two reasons that he gives us is because we ourselves were once like this and yet, even when we did not deserve it, when the goodness and the loving kindness and the mercy of our God was shown to us, that's what drives us to say, 
we can give because we have been given to, not because that guy deserves it. Second reason in Titus chapter 3 is that we have been renewed by the Spirit. Uh, verse 5 onwards, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Now, a lot of my uh, first couple of years of Christian life kind of felt a little bit like this in the sense that uh, I came to faith, maybe, I think I was probably about 18 years old at that time, and I remember at that time being quite confused about what it meant for the Spirit to be indwelling me, for me to be walking in the Spirit and exercising the gifts of the Spirit. And so the, the idea that I, I was exposed to at the time is that I, I need to be able to, to like call down fire and like, like heal people, like get them out of their wheelchairs and, and like you know, walk on water and, and all this like cool stuff, like, like, like you know, just like really cool stuff. And uh, I tried. And after a while, it kind of felt like this. You know, you try, and then you kind of, there's a little bit of a spark, and then it burns up, and then, ah, cannot anymore. Okay, try again. And then again, you know, nothing. And then I, a couple of my years were basically like this, like burnt matches, when trying to figure out what it meant for the life of the Spirit to, to be in me. But the point from here, from Titus chapter 3, is that this is what the work of the Holy Spirit within you means. It means moving you, changing you into someone whose heart follows after Christ and fulfills those good works. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not you know, poo-pooing you know, the idea of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not saying that they're, they're inauthentic or that you should not be pursuing them or trying to walk in them. Uh, I mean, go ahead. But the point is that that is not either the, the necessary or the complete manifestation of what it means for the Spirit to be indwelling us. This is what it looks like when the Spirit indwells us. It means, uh, so, so this is an ECG, it's your like heart rhythm, right? And the thing is, it's about a change of one's heart. It's about a changing of one's motivations. It's about driving one towards a greater love for God, a love for people, and for a new refreshed desire for holiness and for goodness that did not happen before. That's what the work of the Spirit looks like most of the time. So Titus chapter 3, you know, the, there should be a difference between what believers are like and what believers used to be like. And there are two reasons that Titus says this should happen. Because we do good works because we have received goodness through Christ. And because if the Spirit resides in you and has enlivened you and is changing you, He will renew your heart and move you into good works. So, I'm going to look at three more ideas around good works that Paul talks about explicitly in the book of Titus. And so, in this chapter, in chapter 3, there are three times when he mentions, uses that specific term, you know, good works. And so, we're going to look at the, at the verses right around each of those. The first is this, remind them, and he means talking to Titus here, remind them to be ready for every good work. Verse 8 onward, those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And verse 14, and let our people learn 
to devote themselves to good works. Let's look at the first one. So remind them to be ready for every good work. And the question is this. I mean, many of you have been believers for some time. How have you made yourself ready for good works? In what way are you more ready now to walk, to address needs, to go into good work than you were last week, last year, two years ago, before you came to know Christ? In what way are you more ready now than before? Let, let, let me tell you a, a little bit about what, what this means for, for me personally. I found this to be an issue, um, time. And, you know, one of the, you know, hazards of, occupational hazards of doing sermons is that sometimes you end up convicting yourself. And so this is one of those things that, that came to me because uh, right now I have about like three and a half part-time jobs. Uh, and then I've got these other commitments as well. I've got study and teaching and I've got wife and cat and things like that. So all, all of these things, not in that order of importance um, so, so, so to deal with. And one of those things that makes it difficult to... to to vindicate the opportunities for good works, to, to focus on good work, is just this, just the lack of time. And because there are just so many other things to deal with in my, in my life. And um, yeah, so I guess one of those things that I need to do is kind of clear out my calendar a little bit like, to do this. Um, another thing is this, and this is the, the readiness of heart, the posture of heart one takes when it comes to what we will do when we are, when we are faced with an opportunity for good work. A, a person in need. Now, uh, uh, Louis, my wife, and I, we spend a bit of time in, in developing countries where we do medical missions. And one of those things are, it's a, it's a bottomless pit. You know, you're just always confronted by people with needs. And people come up to you and ask you for, for money, for things, for, for help, for other things. And I mean, different people deal with it in different ways. It's just, it, it's just a, a very, very difficult problem to deal with. What, what do you do as a Christian? Uh, but for me, it's been relatively easy for the last few years. I've just had a simple policy. I'll just say no. I'll just tell myself, you know, I'm committed to this. Th this is the work I'm here to do. These are the people I'm here to help. This is the boundaries of my commitment. And anything outside that, sorry, I'm, I'm already doing this. So the answer is simply no. And that makes things a lot easier in some ways. Because when the person comes up and knocks on your door and asks, you just say, nope, sorry, you don't need to think about it. Right? Because it's a, it's a decision that you've made up front. And that makes things very easy. And yet, uh, just a couple of days ago when I was in East Timor, I was, I was, I was very challenged about this. Because um, I, I just finished meeting with uh, Mike. You know, Mike Kyrie, he's our missionary in um, uh, East Timor. And uh, he told me that after meeting me, he'd gone out, he was going back, you know, he was, he was getting into the car to drive back. And he saw this guy, this you know, young guy, you know, waiting outside in the sun trying to sell phone credit. Which, which they do in, in East Timor a lot. And he felt convicted at the time that, you know, here's this young man, you know, who's doing super low-wage work. He's just outside in the sun. Let's, let's bless him. And so he gave him a, a drink. And when he told me about it, I thought, oh, if I had been you, I would not have done that. I would have done absolutely nothing. What I would have done is said, so not, say, sorry, I don't want any more phone credit. Thank you very much. And then go back off. And, and yet... Mike has this, that guy's been in the field now in East Timor for like six, six years, I think, you know, and he still has this certain softness of heart, this readiness of heart to say that when 
when, when I see a need, um, I'm, I'm ready to do something with it. Now, I know that that will probably expose him to a lot more turmoil and having to make decisions about things that, that I do. And there's something right and godly about that, which, which I don't have, and, and I wish I did. And the question is this, what, what stops you? Because this is me, issues of, ready, of readiness, of time. Um, but what, what, what about you? What stops you from being ready for good works? The second item, okay, about good works in Titus chapter 3. Those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid these other things which are unprofitable and worthless. Devotion to that which is profitable. So I'm going to tell you a slightly embarrassing story. Um, what are you devoted to? And how profitable for people is it? Well, for me, um, this is about like three months ago or something. So, so that's me and that's my brother, the, the better looking Indian man. Uh, and that's my mom in the center over there. Uh, and so he was here for a while and um, uh, I thought one way to like kind of bond with him a bit more would be for us to like play some computer games, right? And so the computer game that we decided to play was, let me know if any of you recognize this. Yes, you, you guys are so much better to talk to than the first service because like, <laughs> nobody knew what this was, okay? So anyway, so this is Team Fortress 2. Um, I'm glad I'm not like outside of your generation completely. But in any case, uh, sorry, Tanya. But in any case, um, so, so it's okay. So for those of you who don't know, uh, it's free. It's a first-person shooter. Uh, you download it, and it's fantastic. Okay, so you can like choose any of these like different roles. You can be like 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 the soldier or the engineer or the flamethrower guy or the doctor. And these different people can do different things. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, there you go. And it's like, is it really fun? And I thought, okay, this is great. I can play this with my brother, and I will like, you know, beat the crap out of him because I used to play these kind of like FPSs when I was like in high school and in med school and stuff. And so we played. Good God, I mean, out of ten times, right? Like he would kill me like like ten times, and I'd like. I'd like get him back like you know once or something like that. It is just terrible. Okay, I, and I blame it on the reflexes time because he's like seven years younger than me, so I think like my reflexes are dropping. But in any case, so at the end of that, okay, we did have fun and we bonded and all of that. Then he went back. Uh, and he now lives in uh, in Japan. Um, and then I thought, hmm, before the next time, I should practice a little bit so that I can like beat him, right? And so I, I began practicing, and it took over my life, right? So, and this is just like, maybe like, maybe like two months ago, right? Yeah. And so at that time, you know, what, what, what it began with is just like, I thought, just an hour a day, you know, like at the end of the day, I come back, I'm tired, I don't have enough like brain juice to do other things, but surely I can play some game, right? So I'd be like, Lois, can I like play Team Fortress for an hour? And she'd be like, of course, so sweet, right? Yes, you can. And so then I'd play, and near that the end of it, like one hour up, I'd be like, Lois, it took me like five minutes to start, so can I like add an extra five minutes? And then she'd be like, yes, and then I'll play. And, then, and that five minutes would like creep up to become like about 15 minutes. And, but you, you, you know how this works, right? Yeah. So in any case, um, and then not only was I like spending like an hour plus every day playing this, it began to, to kind of take over my mind. And you know, like be in bed, going to sleep and thinking, actually, this is the best place to camp to shoot those guys when they come up. Or, or like when I'm on my way to work, I'm thinking, I need to build the sentry gun here so that when they come around the corner, I can kill them. But, 
And, and as you know, this is kind of growing into a larger obsession for me, there were times when, you know, in the middle of my game, there would be like this pause, and then, you know, somebody's running around elsewhere and just kind of waiting uh, for something to happen. And then, like, this flash of insight comes to me. I'm like, Raj, you're 37 years old. What, <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? Okay? And then somebody would come out and I'll be like, ah, kill him. We have to boom, boom, boom. Uh, and, and all of that, you know, the insight you know, would, would kind of, you know, be blown away by all of the explosions and stuff. Um, and f until finally it came to a head where I realized, you know, over about two weeks, I'd played maybe about 20 hours of, uh, of, of, of Team Fortress. And that's like more time that I spent preparing this sermon, you know. Um, so I realized, you know, something's out of hand. And so with a with big dollop of like God's grace and my wife streaming me, uh, I, d I deleted it from my computer, and so uh, please don't let me like like restart. Okay, like ask me every now and then. So anyway, so b bottom line, why am I talking about this? Because the issue is, uh, what what are you devoted to, um, and is it something that's that's profitable? Now wait, I'm not. You know, in the first place, a couple of clarifications. When I say profitable, I don't mean does it make money. I mean, is it something that's useful or helpful to people? And I'm not against computer games. I'm not against recreation, other kinds of things. And maybe it's something else that, that, that you find joy and life in. You know? Maybe it's you know, reading books or playing tennis or, uh, I know, or cooking or baking or, or watching Korean dramas or, or something, or whatever it is that you guys do. Um, I'm, I'm not against those things, but there's a point at which it becomes not just a hobby, but it becomes a devotion when, when it takes over your, your life your passions, what you become interested in, what you think about, what you spend your time talking and planning and, and dreaming about. And when that happens, something's wrong. What are those things for you? Everybody's devoted to something. Everybody's passionate about something. What are those things for you? And are those things which are, which can be construed as good works, are those things that can be thought of as things that's profitable for yourself, for people? And if not, you're in trouble. Something's wrong. Third item in Titus 3. Be careful to devote yourself to good works. Item 2. Third idea in uh, Titus chapter 3 about good works. Verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. And so here's the question. How have you learned to be devoted to good works in this past chapter of your journey as a Christian? In the last year? In the last five years? Or maybe in the last six months? Are you any closer now to being devoted to the things of God and of good works for Him than you were before? If you're not, something's wrong. But if you want to be this, if you do want to learn to be more devoted to good works and the things of God, how do you do that? And, and let me just share a little bit about what, what this means to me uh, and, and how it's been helpful for me. Now, um, let me tell you a little bit about, more about like, the things that I've been devoted to <laughs> at some point in my life. Um, I, I like motorcycles, and this is like my dream bike. You know, it's a, uh, a Harley-Davidson Roadster. Uh, it is gorgeous. Um, and um, when I was in med school, um, I wanted this. I want one. 
but I couldn't have one uh, because I was a student. And uh, shortly after I graduated and I started working, one of my friends, he went and got one. It was terrible, right? And uh, because I could like hear him roaring in on it, you know, room, room, room. And, and every time that happened, it just awoke all of this strife and you know, all of this like turmoil within me because I was like, you know, I want that, but I want that. Why can't I have that? And, uh, but you know, over time, as I got kind of older and wiser, um, you know, it, it kind of slowly you know, just faded away. Until three weeks ago, when I go and meet that same guy again, and guess what? He's got an even nicer bike now. <laughs> Terrible. And uh, after I found out about it, immediately it's like this, it's like this, you know, scar within your heart that's been kind of like loosely scabbed over, that was torn open and then bleeding. Okay, when I realized, ah, there's all of this like, you know, envy and, 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 and uh, just, you know, dissatisfaction with my life because I've got this like little Honda uncle bike when I want this like big Harley. Um, and as I, <laughs> and as I, I was kind of dealing with this. I started Googling online about, you know, hmm, like how much does it cost in Singapore? And like, can I afford it? And uh, uh, it, it's expensive, but I was like, and actually, if you work a little bit longer, you know, you can actually make up money to like, like buy one of these things. Uh, and then, you know, thank God, you know, uh, last week I, I went to East Timor. And when I went to East Timor, one of the people that I met was, uh, was these guys. This is um, uh, Jeremy and his wife, uh, Bethany Beckett. So they're from Australia. They're only about like, like two years older than me. And they um, uh, work in East Timor now as the... Uh, as the directors of a medical NGO that trains Timorese healthcare workers to deal with, with some very serious problems within the villages uh, out there. And so I'm kind of hearing about their lives and, and what it means to them, and especially what they needed to kind of give up and change in order to go that. I was, I was just blown away because th these, guys, these guys basically, they make about a thousand US dollars per person per month, okay? Which as an income compared to, you know, you know, what they could be earning back home in, in, in Australia or, or as a normal doctor would over here. It's, it's a fraction of that. And on top of that, right, they have these guys. They've got four kids. All right? And, and so what, what, what I found is I was just so amazed by that, by what they're able to do and, and the things that they have been passionate about, the things that they have chosen to give up in order to pursue that life. And that... That deeply moves me, and that makes me want to be like them. You know how they say, you know, one bad barrel, so one bad apple uh, spoils the whole barrel or something like that? I think it kind of works the other way around as well. Because when I'm like that rotten apple, and I'm surrounded by like, you know, Jeremy and Bethany, I find that I'm becoming a better apple. And uh, I, I find that I'm moved by them to want better things, want more godly things, and to reframe my life. In, in, in a way that would be more true to, to what I say in terms of following Jesus Christ. And, 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 it's, and it's maddening how, how, how malleable my, my heart is, how easy to shape it is. It, it's like tofu, you know, you put it in the fridge next to cheese and then it like, you know, smell like cheese afterwards, you know, or you put it next to curry and it absorbs all the curry. And that's, that's just the way that I think our hearts are built. We tend to love the things that people around us are chasing and moving towards. Facebook is one of those things, right? If all of your friends on Facebook are, are desiring, showing, showcasing certain parts of your life, you find yourself dissatisfied for not having that and wanting to be, have more of that. But if you're surrounding yourself with other people, people who don't have Harley Davidsons, 
um, then that moves your heart in a different direction. And I think over the years, I've just come to recognize how, how easily moved my heart is. And if that's the case, I need to guard who are the people I, I, I expose my heart to, who are the people I allow to, to shape my heart. And so what that means is that for me, I, I need to spend a bit more time around people like you know, Bethany and Jeremy, and I need to spend less time around with that motorcycle guy. Right? Um, there's this other thing about how one can learn to, to be committed to, to good works. And I, I'm not sure if you guys have heard the story, so if you've heard the story, I won't tell you. Have you heard the one about the three guys who wanted to climb over the wall? Okay, fine. So I will tell you. Stop me if you've heard this one, right? You've heard this one? No? Okay, all right. So, so there's these three guys who want to climb over this tall wall. And so this first guy comes over, he looks at the wall and thinks, okay, let's do this. And he starts climbing and scrambling up the wall. And, and he just slips and he falls and he just can't do it. It's too high. Uh, there, there's, no, there's no handholds. And so he says, ah, nuts, cannot. And then he you know, goes off. The second guy looks at the wall and he thinks, actually, it's too high to just climb to, 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 to like freehand climb up. We need a ladder. So he goes away, finds the ladder, comes back, puts it against the wall, starts climbing, but then finds doesn't reach the top. So he tries, the ladder falls, and then he says, ah, yeah, cannot. Then he walks off. Now the third guy looks at the wall and he says, okay, I know what I'll do. So he takes out his wallet and he throws it over the wall. And then he takes off his shirt and he throws it over the wall. He takes off his pants and throws it over the wall. And now the other two guys have come back and are looking at him and thinking, oh, what are you going to do? How are you planning to get over the wall? And he says, I have no idea, but now I have to, right? Because all my stuff is on the other side of the wall. Okay? And, and, and the point of this is, is to just commit yourself, to make it impossible for yourself to turn back and to, and to not you know, pursue that point of good work. One example of that was, uh, I think for, for Lewis and I, uh, last year we were uh, in Sierra Leone in West Africa, and some people, you know, asked us, you know, what, what made you so sure that that's what God wanted you to do? How were you, how did you, like, confirm God's calling before you went over there? And the answer is, we, we, we didn't. We, we weren't sure. We just thought, seems like the right thing to do. We think God, this would be a God-honoring thing to do. Um, do the sums, you know, uh, you know, get or leave, apply, and if they take us, go. And we went. And then after we got there, after, especially in the first about a week or two, when we were having like some, some really like tough kind of transitioning issues, we were like, oh no, have, have we made the wrong choice? Was this where we we're supposed to be? But, you know, time went by. Uh, we look back on our, on our year over there and we think that it's one of the best things that we ever did. And I'm so grateful for God, to God that we got to do that. And the point is that at the time that we were making the decision, we didn't have any kind of assurance that we could do it or it would be the best thing to do. We just committed ourselves and went. And once you've put in your resignation letter, right, cannot change anymore, right? And, then, and, and you go. Um, and what, 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 what does that mean for us? That may mean that, so how have you learned to devote yourself to good work? So that first thing was hang out with other good examples, uh, like, like, like Jeremy, and, uh, uh, Jeremy and Bethany. And the second thing was just commit to yourself. And what, what that might mean for you is, to just tell, you know, Auntie Mihuan, okay, I'm going to be one of your four English teachers next, you know, uh, in, in next year. You haven't figured out exactly how that's going to fit into your schedule or what your time is, whether you even know English good enough to be able to teach. But you just commit yourself, do it. You will figure out a way once you have. God will make a way, right? Just commit yourself. And, and 
in any case, so, so these are two ways that I have found helpful in trying to, to move myself a little bit closer to learning what it means to, to be de more devoted to good works. And th there's, there's a long way to go, but, but these are some ways in which I look at myself a year ago, five years ago, and I've made some progress, and, and maybe that, that would work for you. And maybe it's not this, maybe it's something else, and maybe that's something that you can ask or find out within your CG to one another and ask, you know, how, how have you learned to devote yourselves to good works in, in the last two, three years? And if we hear one another and we learn one another and we keep one another accountable for this, maybe that's one way in which we as a church, as a community, would be better at doing this. And so the question that I began with this, well, well, that I began with was this, and what should we say about good works in the believer's life? And from Titus, that's, that's the three answers to be ready to devote yourselves to this and not to, to other things, to lesser things. And to learn to do so. It's not necessarily something that happens once and for all as soon as you come to Christ. It's something that we learn, we grow, we struggle in, we get a little bit better at and move forward with as a church. It's my last slide. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, just stand up with me and, and just pray with me. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that the grounds on which we, we begin building, um, wh whatever little efforts we have for good works, is that you have saved us, is that you have come to us and you have been good to us. When we deserved nothing, you, you died for us and you called us to you. And you've made us your sons and, and you've given us an inheritance that will not spoil. Thank you for your goodness to us. Help us to, to really understand this. Help us to understand this in a way that will move us outside of ourselves and into every part of the world that, that needs your grace. God, show us. Um, show us how much we are devoted to you and to your kingdom and to these good works and how much of our devotion lies elsewhere. Convict us. Help us if need be. To, to disentangle our hearts from these other things and to give them to you. Help us to, to, to learn from one another, to learn from better examples than ours. Help us in this journey by the power of your Spirit to become more like your Son. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you. Service is over.